Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you... uh, You woke up tomorrow morning and discovered that, voila, you had an extra checking account. Any takers on that? Yeah. Yeah, you had an extra checking account, and in that checking account was all the money that you've ever wasted so far in your life. (laughs) You know, some of you are already thinking about that new pickup that in-ground pool that you're going to have built. Because for a lot of us, there's going to be quite a bit of money in that account, right? And when I say money that you've wasted, let me be clear, because I'm talking about money that you bad-habited away through a vice or a bad habit, money that you consumer-debted away, all the money that you borrowed and spent on stuff that you don't even have or use anymore. In fact, some of you are making payments on things that you don't even know where they're at anymore, right? All the money that you spent on things that you wore once and it's been hanging in the closet ever since, all those shoes you bought and wore one time, Sarah Clam, all those can't do without, got to have items that you bought, in some instances even financed, but now you're not even sure where that, where that thing's even at. So imagine waking up tomorrow with a checking account that had all the money that you had ever squandered or wasted in your life. But here's the catch. The only thing that you could do with that money is give it away. You had to give it. Now, you could give it away all at once, or you could give it away over time. But that's, that's the rule. You had to give it all away. How fun would that be? I mean, once you're past the shock of of how much money you actually, actually, seriously, how much fun would that be to just go around and bless people? Hang on to that thought. We're going to come back to it in just a minute. We're wrapping up this Firm Foundation series where we've spent the past few weeks looking at some basic Bible principles that if we'll apply them, will help transform our lives and equip us to do what God's called us to do and change us into the people that God's called us to be. Things like some of the different topics we talked about, Bible reading, worship, prayer, witnessing or evangelism, the Holy Spirit. We spent two weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we're going to wrap up this series. We're going to tie a bow on this series by looking at the topic of generosity. So the title of this final message is Live Generous. Live Generous. And I know all you English majors cringed when I said that because the proper wording should be Live Generously, right? But I left the L-Y off on purpose because for the next few minutes, I want to contrast the idea of be generous with live generous. Here's why. All of us know how to be generous in the moment. But what we're talking about this morning is different than being generous in the moment. And look, I don't need to spend a lot of time talking about this. You guys know how this works in this day and age. I mean, you know, you can be at work one day and all you can, you think about something. Oh, I forgot to get that. So you pull your smartphone out and you open up the Amazon app and you click on that and you swipe right. And sometimes, sometimes that thing you ordered is on your porch when you get home. 
I mean, that's kind of scary, isn't it? I mean, that's really, you think about that, right? That's why it's so easy for us to be consumed by our consumption, which makes us more and more self-centered, which is the antithesis of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So this morning I want to talk about what it means to not be generous, but live generous. This isn't a message on giving. You already know how to give. Everybody knows how to give. In fact, part of the problem is that us Americans easily confuse generosity with random acts of giving. But see, random acts of giving are not necessarily generosity. Random acts of giving are random acts of giving. I mean, that's what they are, right? And the way to understand the difference is similar to how we all consider ourselves to be good people, right? Right? I mean, you're a good person, right? If I were to go around, you you think you're a good person? Yeah, I'm I'm a good person. Yeah, I, I think I'm a good person, right? But if I were to say to you, if I were to say, you know what? I don't think that you're a good person. You would immediately, you would immediately tell me something that you did, some act that you did, some charitable act that shows that you were a good person, right? I mean, that's what you would do. Someone said, well, you're not good. Oh, yes, I am because yada, 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 right? You say, because I did that, I'm a good person. See, all you married folks, you're going to thank me for coming this morning just for what I'm about to tell you. That's why all you married folks don't even argue because you'll never win an argument. Don't, don't argue with your spouse. You'll never win an argument, right? Because whatever you accuse him of, whatever you accuse her of, not doing that they should have done or doing that they shouldn't be doing, once you accuse them, at that moment, they're immediately going to think of a time that they did that thing that you said they didn't do. Hey, how come you never helped me around the house? What do you mean never helped you around the house? Two weeks ago Monday, after dinner, after watching the golf highlights on ESPN, I went and emptied the dishwasher without being told. So, right? Game over, right? See, we do the same thing with giving. We think of a time that we gave and think that that makes us a generous person. So my goal this morning is to show you that random acts of giving does not necessarily equate to generosity. And when I begin to show you this, I'm going to just full disclosure, when I begin to show you this, your tendency is going to want to push back. Because in your mind, you're going to be thinking of a time that you did give, or you did make a donation, or you made a contribution when somebody asked, right? That's not what I'm talking about. See, most Americans participate in some random acts of giving. And most Americans can be generous in the moment. But most Americans do not live generous. And I think part of the confusion surrounding this idea of generosity is we have some misconceptions about it. So I want to begin by looking at four myths surrounding this idea of generosity. Myth number one, spontaneity and generosity are the same. No, they're not. They're not the same. Spontaneity is spontaneous. That's all it is. Giving spontaneously just means you're spontaneous, not necessarily generous. Because greedy people will give spontaneously if they think that it will help them or if they feel pressure to do so or they think people are watching. Spontaneous giving. And look, you know this. Spontaneous giving is usually emotional giving. 
It's usually emotional giving. That's why the ASPCA, the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, hired Sarah McLaughlin to sing in the arms of an angel while showing clips of those abused animals in the background. How many of you have seen that? I mean, doesn't that just rip your heart out? I don't do this anymore, but when our dogs would act up. You're this close to being on a Sarah McLaughlin commercial, I'm telling you. you (laughs) Not really, I'm just saying. (laughs) Talk about an emotional appeal. Did it work? Did that emotional appeal work? According to the ASPCA, that single commercial, that single commercial was their most successful commercial to date as far as fundraising. Their annual budget is $50 million. That commercial alone brought in $30 million. So, yeah. I mean, emotional appeal, it works. It really does. When you stir the emotions, people are more likely to give. And the more emotions, the more that people give. And that's not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. That's not a bad thing. But don't mistake that for being generous. Because that ain't being generous. That's not generosity. Myth number two. Generosity is regulated by cash flow. That's a myth as well. That's not true. What usually happens when someone makes an appeal for a donation or you're given an opportunity to give is you immediately begin to think, right, how much money is in your wallet or in your checking account or in your purse? How much money do I have immediate access to? And if you don't have access to it, your response in those moments is to say, you know, I'd really like to help. I believe in what you're doing, but... I just can't help right now, which meant, right, which meant your context for giving was what you had in your account at that moment, right? Hello? It's not a trick question. All right. You wanted to help. Your heart was right, but you just weren't in a position to give. What you had in the moment, what you had in the moment determined what you could give in the moment. But people who live generous, listen to me, people who live generous They don't do that. They don't do that. People who live generous have a plan, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Myth number three, the amount is what counts. That's not true either because you can't understand dollars without context. You cannot understand dollars without context. See, me or you giving $1,000 is different than Clark Hunt or Warren Buffett or Bill Gates giving $1,000, right? I mean, that's chump change for them. I mean, that's probably a sacrifice for most of us, right? Amount doesn't determine generosity. We hear someone say, well, they really gave a generous gift. What does that mean? Really, what what does a generous gift mean? Because what generous might mean to some people might mean something else to someone. You know, someone says they gave a generous gift. That's what someone else is going to spend at dinner tomorrow night. So what does that mean? Well, they gave a generous gift. Generosity is not about the amount. In fact, Jesus actually addressed this one time in a story. If you grew up in the church, you've heard this story. He was at the temple one day with his disciples. And as people were coming into the temple, there's some kind of a coffer or bucket or something that people would drop their offering into. They would do that as they walked into the temple to worship for that day. So this particular day, Jesus was actually watching these people do this. The disciples were with him. So I said, all these wealthy people, how did he know they were wealthy? Because of, because of how they dressed, 
because of how much they were dumping into the, the offering thing. So Jesus is watching this take place. And at one point, all these rich people coming along, at one point there's a poor widow who was in line with them. And when she got there to the offering bucket, whatever, she dropped in two very small copper coins. The, the old English calls them the widow's mite, right? They, they, these coins are so small, if I were to hold, if I had one, and held, you, you probably almost couldn't see it. I mean, that, that's how small these coins were. At this point, Jesus gets his disciples' attention. Hey, come here, look at that. And he points over at this widow, giving those two copper coins. He says, see, see what this lady has done? What she put in the treasury, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. And the way that that is grammatically structured, it literally means she's put in more than everyone else combined. That's what Jesus was saying. And his disciples were thinking, what? What kind of math is that? And Jesus would say, that's kingdom math. That's kingdom math. Because God's not impressed by amounts. God's impressed and God's moved by percentages. Someone once said, we measure our giving by what we give, but God measures our giving by what we keep. Ooh, aren't you glad you came to church today? But that's true. That, that, that is true. Jesus tells the disciples, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. In other words, they had a lot left over. They gave some percentage, but she, that widow, gave out of her poverty. She put in all that she had to live on. So she gave more than everyone else. In fact, everyone else combined. She was the most generous person at the temple that day because when it comes to generosity, the amount is not what counts. Percentage is what counts. Generosity myth number four. Rich people are generous. No, they're not. Rich people are rich. That doesn't mean they're generous. And the two aren't necessarily the same. In fact, there's no necessary correlation between the two. The truth is, you think about this, the truth is poor people are generally far more generous than wealthy people. Here's why. Poor people aren't trying to save their way out of their poverty. They're just trying to survive. I mean, a savings plan for a poor person? No, no, no. That's not even on their radar, right? It's beyond their ability. Consequently, poor people are dialed into those people who are living on the edge because they themselves are right there. They're right on that edge of financial catastrophe. So if generous living isn't about the amount and it's not about responding to an emotional appeal, what exactly is it? For the sake of our study this morning, I'm going to define living generous this way. Living generous is the premeditated, calculated, designated, Emancipation of financial assets. Hold your applause. Premeditated. In order to live generous, you have to have a plan. You got to have a plan, which leads to our main idea for this morning's message. Generous people have a plan. Generous people will have a plan. Doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. If you don't have a plan, you're not going to be generous. You'll give but you won't be generous. You'll have a plan, right? You have a plan, that will help you be generous. If you don't have a plan, 
you're going to be what they call a triple S giver. Spontaneous, sporadic, and sparing. Spontaneous, sporadic, and sparing. If you don't have a plan, you're going to gravitate towards being a consumer, and you'll never be able to give as much as you could have if you had a plan. Author and financial guru Ron Blue said this. He said, there's basically only five things that you can do with your money. You can spend it. You can repay debt. You can pay your taxes. You can save it, and you can give it. Spend it, pay debt, pay your taxes, save it, and give it. Now, what's interesting when you look at that list, and I think most of you will agree here, it kind of mirrors our approach to money, doesn't it? Me first, creditor second, government third, me fourth, and others last. And actually, you think about this, actually, it should be me second as well. Because the things that we're paying our our creditors for, that's probably something we bought for ourselves, right? Right? So really, really, it should be me me, government, me, others. Now listen, if you're not a person of faith, or even if you are, you should make note of this. I mean, this is a little bit incriminating, isn't it? If you think, oh, I'm a generous person, no. No, because if giving is last, you're not a generous person because you put yourself ahead of pretty much everybody else. So, if you're not a person of faith, you know, it's up to you what you do with with this, what we're talking about this morning. But, listen to me, if you are a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, you absolutely cannot live like that. You cannot live like that. If that's a reflection of how you spend your money, you need to have a come-to-Jesus meeting. Here's why. If Jesus taught and modeled anything, he taught us how to put others first, right? Which means you can't follow Jesus if other people in your life are last. Because the whole idea of following Jesus was and still is built on the premise that he put us first. And because he put us first, we should put others first. See, this is why Jesus talked so much about money. Money and possessions. Because money and possessions, quicker than anything else, will expose what's in our heart. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is going to be. And Jesus knew this. See, Jesus didn't need money. My goodness, he was only on this planet for a few years. He wouldn't even have time to spend any money, right? He didn't need money, but he understood the power of money, and he understood that if his father's kingdom was going to be first in our practical everyday lives, his father's kingdom had to be first in our practical everyday finances. Jesus said, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And if you're going to follow me, Jesus would say, if you're going to follow me, how dare you put giving at the end of the line. He didn't actually say that, but it's implied. It's implied. Seriously. What does that say about your appreciation and your confidence in God? Let's move on to the next point. Turn to the person next to you. Boy, I'm glad we're moving on from that, right? Premeditated. To live generous, you have to have a plan. To live generous, you also have to be calculating. Calculated. Here's what generous people think. Generous people pre-decide. 
That, that, that's what calculated means. Generous people predecide they don't wait to be asked to see what's in their purse or in their checking account or in their wallet. Or, or you know, let, let me talk to the wife or let me talk to my husband and see if we, you know what, and, let, and I'll get back with you. No, I mean, not, not that you shouldn't talk to your spouse about giving, but that, that no, that, that's not what. The point to be made here is simply that when you predecide to give, that decision's already been made for you. And to live generous, to live generous, you have to have a plan and you have to predecide an amount, which is being a percentage giver. Premeditated, calculated, designated, designated. Generous people not only predetermine an amount, they also predetermine where they're going to give that amount. Generous people don't have to be asked. Generous people are proactive in their giving. And look, if you're, if you're not sure where to give, here's a tip to help you dial that in. Always give from a grateful heart and a broken heart. Always give from a grateful heart and a broken heart. So ask yourself these questions. What, are, what, am, I, what am I grateful for? And what breaks my heart? So what are you grateful for? What are you grateful for? See, this question really has to do with the things that benefit you. So as you look at your life right now, what things are you grateful for? What things, what organizations, what events have benefited you or your family that you're truly grateful for? Are you grateful for for local businesses? Well, support them. Support those local businesses. Are you grateful for your school? Well, then support that school. Are you grateful for your church? Well, then you need to support the local church. You need to have a plan for giving to these organizations that you're grateful for. See, money seems to be a lightning rod of criticism for the church. And frankly, being honest, you know, the church has only itself to blame for a lot of that criticism. But here's what you need to know. It doesn't matter how much money the church does or doesn't have. This isn't about need. This is about gratitude. It's about gratitude. Are you grateful for your local church? Do you and your family benefit from the local church? If so, then you should have a plan for supporting your local church. If you attend and participate in a local church and you don't have a plan for how you support and uh, support the local church financially, then I guess, you know, in a way you could say that you're ungrateful. Oh, no, 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 Pastor. No, I, I'm grateful. I, I, I'm grateful for the church. I, I, I'm grateful in my heart. Can I tell you, nobody cares about great, grateful, gracious in your heart. No, no, no. Your wife doesn't. Your husband doesn't. Your kids don't. Your boss doesn't. The bank doesn't care how you're grateful in your heart for your house. They want that payment, right? They want that payment. Because unexpressed gratitude is ingratitude. Did he just say that? Unexpressed gratitude is ingratitude. If you're grateful for your church, you should have a plan to support the local church. We show our gratitude with our money. And if you have a plan and if you've already designated it, it's painless because that decision's already been made. You've pre-decided and now you're proactive and you don't have to, to wait to be asked, right? You don't have to wait to be asked. Everybody should have a plan for how they support the local church. Financially, yes, but also with, with, your, with your time and your talents. That's why we promote the next class so often. We want you to be invested in what God's called you to. What am I grateful for? And then beyond that, you want to ask the question, what breaks my heart? 
what breaks your heart? Is it the 9 million children who go to bed hungry each night here in North America? Is it the innocent people caught up in the sex traffic industry that Kyle talked about in Chiang Mai or even here in North America? Is it the homeless? Is it the foster program? For Sue and I, one of the things in, in both of these categories of what, what we're grateful for and what breaks our heart would be the marriage encounter. We're grateful for what it did for our marriage, but it also breaks our heart to see so many couples, couples that we went to Bible school with, who are not only not in ministry anymore, some of them aren't even married. And that breaks our heart. It really does. So we support it monthly. Marriage Encounter doesn't need to send us a letter or invite me, invite us to attend some kind of a, a nice meal with a PowerPoint presentation in this emotional tug. No, no, no. They don't, they don't have to ask us to do that because generous people are giving based on what they're grateful for and what breaks their heart. And listen, any time that you can marry your giving, your passion, and your time together, that, that's a win for you. That, that's a win for you. So what breaks your heart? Find somebody in that space who's doing a great job and support them. See, this is what connects your heart to your giving, but you have to have a plan. You have to have a plan. If you don't have a plan, you're not going to be ready. If you don't have a plan, you're going to be inconsistent. If you don't have a plan, you're going to be thinking, how much money do we have in our account? And when you have a plan, and this, this is really important here. This is one of maybe the best thing. When you have a plan, you'll feel, you'll feel better about saying no to other sales pitches and solicitations. Generous people don't feel guilty about saying no because they've already said yes. You see that? You won't feel guilty about turning because, no, you know what? We've already decided, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be giving here, right? Generous people have already said yes to something that they're grateful for, something that breaks their heart. And they've already picked a percentage to give towards that cause. And look, I get it. I know that this is a tough message for many of you. It took me, honestly, it took me way longer than it should have to, to, to learn to trust God in this area. To, to learn to live generous, and, 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 and I'm not saying that we have it down because we don't. We're still learning. We're still learning. But here's what I want you to understand. I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not doing, that we're not doing. And I'll readily admit, when it comes to living generous, you know, we could be doing a lot better, but you know what? We're a whole lot better than we used to be because as we've stepped out and trusted God more, We've seen him come through for us time and time and time again. You know, there was a time when it was all we could do to pay our tithe. I mean, forget about any extra offerings. I mean, maybe a couple of times a year we might have an extra 20 or something that we could give for a cause. But honestly, there was a time in our life we had five kids at home. <laughs> I mean, it was all we could do to pay our tithe. Now, as I look back, as we've learned to trust God in this area, in addition to tithing to the church, I also tithe to our district office because that's how this thing works. We support the money I make from the church. I tithe to the district office. Any other money I make, we tithe to the church. 
but we're also able to give over and above that tithe in other areas, other offerings. Something we never used to be, never used to be able to do. Uh, we we picked up Nick and Kennedy Topping, who you know you you know Nick and Kennedy. They've led worship for us here. God called them to Salt Lake City to to reach out to the Mormon community. We agreed to pay them uh, so much a month, pick them up because because we we believe in what they're doing. There's been times when we've been able to, and, and we need, we didn't used to be able to do this, but there's been times when we've been able to. We get a, a a letter in the mail from from a student, sometimes a student, you know, here in, at Wellsville. And they had this missions trip opportunity, and they were talking about it. And, you know, you've gotten these probably. And, you know, they ask, you know, talk about this opportunity they have, and then they ask you to pray for them, but also they ask you to pray about supporting them financially. And we've been able to do that. And, you know, that, that, that is so much fun to be able to. I can't tell you how rewarding it is to be able to tell you that we're able to. We didn't be able to. We, we couldn't do that. There was a time we couldn't do that because we didn't have a plan. And we didn't predetermine. And now we're able to do that. And it's just, it's a blessing to us, and hopefully it's a blessing to those that we've been able to help. And when I look at my life, our lives, my family's lives today, i got to be honest, it, it blows me away. Last night, Sue and I were sitting outside the house enjoying a, a beautiful, wasn't it beautiful last night? It's like a Colorado weather or something, you know, just low 70s, no humidity, and just it was just really, really nice out. And so Sue was kind of pulling some of the dead heads off the, the flowers, and I'm sitting there in a lawn chair, and I'm just looking out to the west on that beautiful sunset. And I just got this, I don't know, this revelation. I just thought, man, look at what the Lord has done. When we first moved to town, first 14 years that we lived in Wellsville, we lived in town over on 3rd Terrace where Zach and Sam used to live. And Sue used to tell me, at least once a week, said, honey, I'd, I'd, like to move, I'd like to move into the country. And I'd tell her, honey, Wellsville is the country. <laughs> she didn't like that answer, but anyway. So eventually, God blessed us with a beautiful home on three and a half acres. He blessed me with a John Deere zero-turn 54-inch deck so I can cut those three-and-a-half acres. You know, we've got two cars in the garage, got a pickup sitting out. I mean, seriously, I just sat there and I thought, man, God really has blessed us. Why? I believe in large part because we've learned to live generous. We've, we've learned to apply these principles and it dawned on me in that moment, putting God first truly has made my life, made our lives better as we've enjoyed the blessings of God, but also, but also made us better at life as we now have the freedom and the resources to be a blessing to others. It's an oversimplification, I know, but the simplest way to organize your financial life is by applying these three steps, and this is really for another sermon, but give first, save second, Live on the rest. Give, save, live. For God so loved the world that he gave. Because that's what people who love do. That's what grateful people do. That's what passionate people do. That's what organized people do. So I'm challenging you to begin living generous 
Again, back to where we started. Imagine if you had that checking account with all the money that you ever wasted or squandered. Imagine all the good you could do, all the people you could bless as you went around. one another and did to others what Jesus did for you. I'm telling you, you have no idea what your giving capacity is until you have a plan. And look, if that scares you, it shouldn't. What should scare you, what should scare you is living another season of your life without a plan. That should scare you. That's what should scare you. Because generous people really are the happiest people. Jesus put it this way. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And he really wasn't kidding when he said that. You know, read that. Oh, that sounds like something that, you know, the Son of God would say. No, no, that is a true fact. It is a principle. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And blessed means happy. Blessed means happy. Because you know what? You can't consume your way to happiness, can you? You've tried. You cannot consume your way to happiness but maybe you could give your way there. So God says, you want to be happy? Then here's how you do it. Flip the script on how you manage your money. And if you'll do that, you'll save more, you'll consume less, you'll give more, and you'll be happier along the way. Now to be clear, to be clear, because I've been accused of preaching a prosperity gospel. So let me be clear about this. Living generous isn't giving to get. You know, you're not going to be blessed in the sense of, you know, I gave God a dollar and he gave me ten back. No, no, no. I don't believe that for a second. Look, you live in the United States, right? You live in the United States of America, for goodness sakes. When you think about what's going on around the world, you've already won the lottery. You live in this country, which means you're wealthier than 94% of the people in the world. So in a lot of ways, you've already won the lottery. So this is about give because you've been given to. And that's the power of a plan. And that's the power of percentage. And this is what it means to follow Jesus with our finances. So some questions to keep the discussion going through this next week. And then I want to pray for you. What do you know? Or excuse me, who do you know that lives generously? Who do you know that you would consider they live generously? And what makes you think that about them? What is it about them that causes you to think that they're living generously? Second, do you have a generosity plan? Third, if you don't currently have a plan, what's holding you back from deciding to give away a percentage of your income? And then fourth, what are you grateful for? And what breaks your heart? Does your generosity reflect your answer to those two questions? Bow your heads and let me pray for you. Father, based on what you've done for us, given to us, how, how can we not be generous people? Give us wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard and the courage to do it. And as we look to you, help us to put a plan together as we predetermine a percentage to give and no longer live spontaneous, sporadic, and sparing lives. And while your heads are bowed, if you're, if you're here today and you're not in a right relationship with God, maybe, maybe you've never even been given the opportunity to receive God's forgiveness through 
through Jesus Christ. Or maybe you did it one time, but for whatever reason or reasons, you just know that you're not living the life that God has for you. And you know it. In fact, that's why you're, that's why you're here. That's why you're here. If that's you, it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer where you can come to the Father or come back to the Father. Because just like the Father in the story of the prodigal son, it says when, when the wayward son, when the prodigal son came to his senses, decided to go back home, one of the most emotional, emotionally charged verses in the Bible, Luke 15, 20, tells us that while he was still a long way off, while the prodigal was coming back home, he was still a long way off. It says his father saw him. His father saw him, which means he had to be looking for him. He had to be looking for him. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Some of you here this morning who are far from God, you need to know that the father, your heavenly father, he's been looking for you. And he's not mad at you. In fact, he's been looking for you for a long time. So if that's you, you're ready to come home. I'd ask that you would just pray this prayer with me to say, Jesus, I know that my life is broken. I know I can't fix it because I've tried. So I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying for me so I can have abundant life now and eternal life with you forever. I believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for me, and that he rose from the dead for me three days later. Thank you. Thank you for that resurrection life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me begin living my life for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name.